Welcome one and all to a new episode of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is Amanda Dawn. Amanda is an awesome role player who's working with the Sladies, uh, making online content, streaming their games, as well as she runs her own games and plays in her own in the local Georgia area. We have a great conversation about kind of the chemistry of making up uh, RPG table, um, the inclusivity of the RPG community, and just kind of the fun ways we like to play RPGs. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome one and all to a new episode of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is Amanda Dawn. Amanda, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. So Amanda, if I could ask you to describe yourself in, you know, a couple sentences or so, what would you say? <laughs> uh, a somewhat charismatic trans woman that tries her best to uh, do what she can and be herself in the world as cleanly as geeky as possible, to be quite frank. That's awesome. You actually had that almost perfectly right off the top of your head. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I, I am a DM from time to time, so I'm trying to get better and better at, oh, at, at living a lot of there we go. The DM secret ability. The ability to improv oh, you, BS you at any moment. Out, my yes, yes, yes. <laughs> we, we, we all know that very well. That's what keeps us alive as DMs and GMs, right? <laughs> Indeed it is. All right. Well, Amanda, we'll, we'll run right into talking about a DM and GM in just one second. I want to go back to the very, very itty bitty beginnings. How did you get into RPGs? Okay. Uh, oh, oh my goodness. Um, so I know, uh, of course it was Dungeons and Dragons, but I know with a lot of people, usually their introduction is more, uh, a friend of theirs that played and they were interested or critical role. Um, my introduction actually, I met someone off, uh, okay. Cupid. Uh, if you can believe that, <laughs> and she, uh, it didn't work out between she and I, but she was starting up a, a new homebrew game and she kind of recruited me. She ended up about a third of the table. She pulled off of, uh, okay, Cupid and <laughs> we've been playing together ever since. I don't think anyone in this podcast quite yet has said that's their introduction, but it's probably one of my favorite ones now because that's so cool and so unique. I mean, I've heard of people definitely bringing up RPGs as like, uh, hey, you know, are you into this sort of thing? And it obviously working out very well if the other person's interested or knows it because it kind of gives you guys an uh, immediate sort of connection interest point. But I've never seen somebody right. have that be like, oh, no, 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 I was a totally <laughs> – that's how they roped me in. It was it was RPGs and D and D. Pretty much, uh, yeah. There was it's it's because this is also pre transition. So when she gets she gets excited, the DM will tell people this story, and then I'll be right there telling them like, look, this um, yeah, it didn't work out, but it was a, uh, it was quite fun. It, it, it's it's interesting to me to listen to her tell that story time and time again as excited she gets. Like, yeah, she and I almost dated, but. 
no, she just wrote me into her DM uh, into her D and D game. So how did that first game go, and what was like your first exposure to it? I mean, I know a lot of people who fall into D and D are usually people with like a theatrical background or a musical background. They already have this sort of like extroverted artistic thing to them. Are you that type of person, Amanda? <laughs> I I did have a theater background in, in back in high school. I was going to go to school to to get into acting, but got married instead. But that's a long separate story. Uh, my first actual game was actually in the, um, upstairs room of the Irish pub in Douglasville here in Georgia. Um, it was, it was a real neat, uh, a real neat setup. It was a real fun time. Um, learned some, some do's and don'ts. Uh, there's a, a particular player there that was there to help out that things could have gone better, but it, it was fun to meet people. Because that was something I really needed at the time, and to to get out on a weekly basis is right now something I desperately miss. Yeah, I mean the advent <laughs> of online TTRPG uh, platforms like Roll Twenty and uh, you know Dungeon World, and uh, obviously the the tabletop role playing simulator and things like that has been huge while we're all still in a pandemic um, as of the recording of this episode. So I can't uh, I can't imagine. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> How many thousands, if not millions, of <laughs> RPG players are out there are living off the lifeline that is, you know, Skype and Zoom and uh, Roll Twenty and whatnot? Uh, oh, most certainly, most certainly. Um, I, I was actually kind of hesitant to to do online D and D starting out, and I'm glad I I was wrong in that aspect. Um, because I started playing like a, a Westlands game, uh, Slade's picked up, and I've actually been able to enjoy quite a number of games. Um. And do aspects like uh, and getting costume a lot more than what I would have going to someone's house and something like that. So, in a way, it's a good thing. But I am I am needing a change. I need that personal interaction again so desperately. Yeah, and I kind of wanted to ask. You mentioned your first game being run by a female GM at the time. What was kind of the makeup and like diversity and inclusion in regards to your first games and campaigns? Um. So it was, very, it was very inclusive. This was her first, uh, her first game, her first homebrew. Um, she did take a lot of inspiration from Critical Role. Um, so there was some, for a number of us, it was actually our first game. So even if you had told us things weren't going all that great, we really wouldn't have known. But we were all having a, a great time anyway. Um, I will say one of the great things that she did do. It was about eight months into the game when I decided to start my transition. And within a couple of days, she asked me, okay, I was playing a male character at the time. And she said, do you want to switch your character over? And at the time I was like, well, no, because I based this on a period, this character on a period of my life uh, when I was male. So let's leave it. And like two sessions later, I was like, nope, this ain't working out. Uh, let's go ahead and, and, and pull that plug. And we talked about it. And we set up kind of a Mulan situation with my character because they were a rogue. So they were just undercover the whole time. Uh, and it was so sweet. And uh, I, I loved every second of it. I love to hear that story. That sounds like a fantastic way of DMs and GMs, like listening to their players, understanding kind of where they're at and what they kind of wanted to do, not only with their characters, but in life and then complimenting them and assisting them in that. That's exactly what we should be doing as dungeon masters and game masters. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, 
it's a moment that I, I like I say, I still hold near and dear to my heart and set a very high bar for any DM that I encountered after that. So <laughs> some surpassed it and some, some not so much, but well, yeah, that's, that's how it goes sometimes. Since, since you didn't bring the topic up a couple of times, I do want to talk about that. You know, having been somebody who's now transitioned, when you look at the TTRPG sphere and the community and the space like that, is it an inclusive place? Is it a welcoming place? Uh, how's your overall image of it now that you've transferred over to what you believe is the true you? And do people accept you better than in other aspects of life or less so? Or what is that like? Um I'll say my situation has been incredibly uh, fortunate mm -hmm. because I have not come across any uh, discrimination, whether it's in, in real life, except for very few instances. But a lot of the support I've gotten was either started or out around the D&D table or from other D&D groups like Slady's. Um, uh, that first game, I actually live with two of the players that um actually got married and they sort of took me in and provided me with a safe space so that never would have happened any of it would have happened um without that first D, &D game to be honest as as far as everything else um i think it's very very open i think it's very very welcoming i think there's still room to grow um because i think there's people out there that still trying to figure out how to get more to allow players to express themselves in aspects of uh, being non-binary or being trans or um, aspects of like aspects like that. And it can be tricky because sometimes you worry about well, if I try it and I'm, I'm not trans or I'm not, not non-binary, is this offensive to somebody? And it's kind of a fine line to walk. Um, I do play a trans character on Slades and me and the DM did have to have a uh, um, quite the discussion of the process and the path it would take because she also wanted to understand some of the process of transitioning that she was unaware of. So it would feel genuine, feel right, and uh, um, just not step on anybody's toes. And I... Ask that because it's so interesting because this hobby that we love, this uh, RPG hobby, is something that happens in kind of isolated homes. The vast majority of people play homebrew as opposed to Adventures League or uh, coordinated play. So your perception of, of what the community is like until you go to, let's say, a convention like a Gen Con or like a big open play place like a Dragon Con or something like that, it's only kind of in, in like just one kind of insular sort of thing about the friend group you're usually with. So when it's, when I go online and I started getting into the RPG you know, community and Twitter and things like that, it was so interesting to see how some games weren't like my game and other games were, and some were more included. So, so, so it's, it's very weird to, 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 for, for me to try to make a bold statement about the TTRPG community, because again, I only run, you know, three tables that are meeting, you know, weekly and then one monthly so this is a max amount of 15 people I, I see i don't know if every other game is like that and sometimes i have people who i meet and tell me horror stories terrible stories about you know uncomfortable situations or dms or players not listening to each other and taking the time to understand where everybody's boundaries and wants and desires are at and then i just kind of think to myself like wow i didn't know you guys could be like that i thought everybody 
ran of you know open game that was all about listening, understanding each other, and then trying to push the same narrative together cooperatively. Sure, and it's um, it's sad to come across those because it's um, it it, it is something that you would ex- feels like a given, but sometimes uh, really, really isn't. We ran into a, an issue with the GM at one point um, that some of the views that we had in life were, were a little different and that's fine. That's perfectly fine. Uh, and he wanted to ask me something, uh, about, uh, like an issue that's going on right now with, uh, trans athletes. I wasn't crazy comfortable answering the question, but I was like, okay, I'm willing to hear your opinion. So I, I gave him the floor and he gave his opinion. I was like, okay, well, currently I don't feel like I have enough information to give a proper opinion on myself. At the end of the discussion, he said, well, I, just so you know, I just don't agree with what you're doing with your life. And I was like, oh, wait, what? So we had to find another DM rather quickly after that because it's sharing an opinion is fine. But to tell someone something of that caliber, it's like that's that's rather uncomfortable. You know, I had another one of my guests, Jeffrey Muller, who brought up this point and I and I, I, th- I thought it was very interesting at the time to where I had asked him the question like, do you always, you know, like the people you game with? Are they your friends or can you game with people who aren't your friends? And his point was it this is mind you, pre COVID, I feel like it's funny we live in a world where we have to state that, right? But he, his 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 point was well, if they're coming into my house, they have to be good people. They have to be my friends already. We already have to agree. So it's very interesting to, to to hear that because that's kind of been the way I play the vast majority of my games too. Like if I'm going to your home or if you're coming into my home, we already have to agree on you know the most important things, uh, how you treat people, what what's you know inclu- inclusivity, how we accept people, and things like that. But to think about going to like an unknown place, like let's say a convention or to your local friendly neighborhood game shop. And then trying to see if the GM is, you know, going to be somebody who's going to have a problem with you coming up with an unorthodox character or bringing in a point of view politically or, you know, what, whatever. It, that's something that's so very strange and weird for me. And I, I wondered, and I, I think you kind of brought it up in your conversation. It's not like you guys disagreed and you were agreeing to disagree until that very last, very uh, disturbing point. Sure. Um, and this is an aspect of boundaries, whether it's at any table at someone's house or a convention that there's a certain boundaries you don't cross. And that's why I'm a big, like session zeros are a big thing. Um, you know, not just learning the character, see if your players have chemistry with each other is like, can you guys just hang out, have a normal conversation and just flow? Um, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But at the very least, one of the big things is boundaries and lines and veils, which is a massive thing because you never really know, especially as a DM, what might offend somebody or what might trigger something that even they don't know about until you get to really talking about it. Um, and that's been an interesting thing to learn about um, with a lot of this to be to be quite honest. Um, some people are perfectly fine with a certain level of gore. Some people are not at all. And you've got to make it G uh, rated G or PG. And that's perfectly fine. If you're wanting everybody at your table to have fun. Definitely. And now, I mean, that you've now game mastered and dungeon mastered, I think you know exactly how important that is also from the game master dungeon master role, because you're sort of the, you know, 
band leader meets, you know, like teacher, manager, kind of the person directing how things should go. You're kind of supposed to be the person who stops, you know, bad things before they get there, right? And a lot of the issues that might come up at a table where somebody gets uh, insulted, offended, or feels uncomfortable lies kind of on your shoulders because you're the one directing the content, right? Absolutely. And we do set, try to set the boundaries. I try to do on uh, games and see what what works for everybody. But we also, especially with the Sladies game, we have the uh, the safety cards printed out and the rules of what they mean. So we know in play, because you never really know what happens in play, what, what inside jokes or what might come up and what may be uncomfortable for somebody. Um, so we know... It, like we have a green, yellow, and red system. You throw the green up. It's like, I know I'm okay to to proceed. This is all good. Uh, continue. Yellow is like, uh, I'm struggling with it, but it's okay. Just be careful, be cautious. Um, but red is, especially like on Sladies when we stream, red is a dead stop. We cut straight to break uh, and we check on the person, which I think is, is absolutely amazing. We've never had to use... Uh, the red or the yellow, which thank goodness, I think that's a sign of a, of a wonderful understanding GM and players, but I'm very thankful that system is in place. And there's so many great resources now that we're, you know, in the internet age to where if you want to create a system like that, the card system or the color system works as well. I've seen people come online and, you know, you can use simple things as like passing notes or certain cards, which will, you know, have X's on them or things like that. Like there's so many avenues into which you can kind of, I mean, obviously it's not fail proof because there's op always an opportunity for something to go amiss or just a misunderstanding or a slip up can happen, but you can do everything to get to sure. stopping that from happening and, and lacking, uh, lacking that foresight, lacking that consideration, at least it, it's, it totally falls on the onus of the person not being attentive enough or caring enough, uh, because you can't say you, you can't find the resources or it's not there. Absolutely. And, um, and I've had moments where it was something entirely innocent that isn't negative in any way, but because of something I might be personally struggling with uh, in my own life or just had a bad day, I'll do something like I'll just turn my chair around uh, or just go off camera for a second and collect myself because I know it's not something worth stopping a stream or getting everyone else concerned about. It's just, okay, uh, I'm good. It just kind of caught me off guard and I just kind of continue on. Uh, I've had a couple moments like that. It is what it is. I, uh, I don't want other people concerned too much about me for something that I can take two seconds to gather my my emotions to to kind of handle myself. And part of it is uh, I'm still getting used to hormones. We're going through a, like a second puberty, so I never know what what emotions going to hit me at what any point in time. And I realize that. Yeah, that can definitely compound your kind of worries and fears. But also, <laughs> it can. Amanda, you you were kind of talking about this, and I do want to bring this up because it seems to be a recurring theme. Is like we're talking about chemistry here, and you know, as a player, of mm -hmm. course, there's something to be said about chemistry with your other players. But then, as a dungeon master or a game master, when you're putting your game together, figuring out who works and what sort of energy each of them is going to have and what sort of game you're going to have is probably one of the toughest challenges before we ever roll any dice or start, you know taking any damage, right? So what is your kind of approach to figuring out, 
if people are going to work together well or what sort of game you're going to get? How, how do you feel the room out? Um, because I've only been DMing for a couple months, um, I'm still kind of figuring out some of that well, myself. You can say it from a player um, perspective then. How, how do you know, like, <laughs> I, I'm going to like this person or I, I think this table is going to have this type of energy as opposed to another table which might have a more lackadaisical energy? Um, honestly, a lot of that just comes from being observant and just talking to the person not only uh, at the table and interacting with them in character, but off the table as well to just get a sense and feel for what type of person they are and see just because there's so many different types of ways to play the game uh and there is no right or uh perfect way to play something like D, especially something that's role playing uh everybody has their own sort of different set of fun and you gotta be open to that um do certain styles kind of clash at times sure but if you know it's trying to put everybody's fun in consideration of uh you know, as long as people are, are still respectful and use proper etiquette, stuff like that, you you do the best you can. Definitely. And when it works, I mean, one of my favorite things as a dungeon master, and uh, I don't get to be a player too often if you listen to the podcast, valiant listeners, you know, I, I kind of muse about how little I get to be a player, but when I do get to be a, a DM and I have a party or a group of people who just get each other, like they're all going for the same goal. They have the same energy that recognize like, okay, maybe this story beats more about this character. So I'm going to step back or maybe this is an important thing that they're trying to convey. So maybe my character will start to talk to them so we can then open up, you know, maybe a great RP moment or something like that. That's the, one of the greatest highs I can ever have because I just sit back. I stop, you know, looking at my notes or I stop thinking about the next move and I start just watching and it's glorious. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, like I said, I'm still getting used to my DM style, but one of my favorite things to do to my players, uh, I love scaring them in an aspect of I smile a lot or I will take dice and just roll them. Yes, for no oh, reason. Them, for no reason? Yes. yes. Yeah, for no reason. Love and it. they're like, wait, 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 what was that for? I'm like, oh, you never know. That, uh, that is you know, stuff like that. Also, one of my favorite things to do. It's the just nonchalant, <laughs> just, you know, roll a dice. What was that? Oh, nothing. Don't worry about it. Keep yeah. going. <laughs> it's great. It really is. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, that that's one of the uh, fun things about being a DM and GM, but I'll also ask you as a player, like have you had those moments to where somebody at the table or in the virtual space has just picked up on kind of what you're trying to do or has done something that's like surprised you in a, in a sense, in a positive sense that you're like, wow, like I, I got so immersed or I got so emotionally involved that it, it evoked this emotion or made me feel this way about this fictional character. Um, uh, actually, yeah, and it was one of our big highlights from uh, this lady's um, season one. Um, and oddly enough, it was the be it was the best moment that never should have happened uh, because we we had had a Q and A episode uh, a couple weeks ago, and we we spoke more on in depth about what was going on in our lives and whatnot when that uh, episode was streaming. And one of the big things was a couple of us just weren't in the best head spaces at that time. Um, I included and 
some of the players were checking on me uh, throughout, and I, I was dealing with as best I could. But we got to a part in the uh, the end of the episode where one of our our we had a guest player who was playing a, a villain uh, popped up and just rather quickly, uh, which was surprising, took down all the other players except for mine. And it come to I had like three three health left, and because it's a magical girl uh, sort of campaign, we were all you know you transform into uh, like a sailor scout, uh, you know to to get your abilities and spells and whatnot. And the villain's backstory was they had tried to to make friends with one of our our other care uh, uh, party characters and they kept getting ignored and and kept getting ignored and it was like that in itself kind of hit home for me because I, i've i've done that in life but it got down to where it was my turn i had three hp left and i decided to detransform out of the abilities to just normal uh kitty cloud and i gave a little speech that pretty much said you know i know what it's like to be alone um i just want to let you know that you're not alone and if you need a friend i'll be your friend but please don't hurt my friends anymore if you want you can take me and i've even uh, a friend of mine who's an artist who who does doodles uh pen of smiting for a lot of podcasts and whatnot she actually drew this up uh moment up and i have it on my wall and we went off the air. Just everybody was in tears. Um, yeah, that was. We all needed that. Because it kind of stepped out of the role initiative. You beat the bad guy and became sort of that answer. That as people, we try to give that kind answer that sometimes we need to receive as well. And good on your DM and GM also for recognizing what you were trying to do and like letting you have that moment. I mean, so much of what we do, Amanda, as DMs and GMs is try to create moments. And, you know, with the tools we have, of course, are, you know, monsters and damage and resistance and spells. But in that situation, I mean, that sounds, you know, so pure and so true and and especially for all of us anyone who's listening to this podcast probably can relate they've had a moment where they've wanted to be friends with somebody or been interested in somebody and not you know had that reciprocated and we've all felt that rejection and that 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 loneliness that sadness and it can push you into various you know negative sort of emotions or negative head spaces so for you to have gone with a very real answer to that as opposed to fighting fire with fire you, you fought that with kindness i mean that's yeah, that, that's, you know, got me touched already here, too. <laughs> um, to kind of commemorate that moment, uh, we had an artist draw up um, symbols of each one of our characters. And I have the my character symbol tattooed on the back of my hand. And it's a constant reminder uh, for compassion. So that that moment will always live with me. That is fantastic, Amanda. Um, I, I felt like we barely the lead, though. We are talking so much about the Sladies thing. We went from your beginning. I should have asked, asked about that. So how did you get involved with the Sladies and online games and streaming and all that stuff? 
Um, ironically enough, it actually kind of happened that that sort of fast. Uh, um, the DM from the original homebrew game I was telling you about wanted to start a second game, uh, where we came up with um, the DM that we'd had issues with before that I mentioned. Um, we replaced them with a, a gentleman by the name of um, James Stiver, who is the producer of Loot and Dagger. So. A couple months of running that game. Uh, and oddly enough, he really liked my character, which is weird because of the character was a complete butthole, and I don't know why people liked him. Um, lovable assholes? But... Come on, man. That's all the Marvel <laughs> That's all the Marvel guys are just lovable assholes. Right? Fair. You, you, fair. Um, yeah, he was just a scratchy old dude that is just ready to just move on with life, but life wouldn't let him. Um but he eventually had wanted to start a sister show from Loot and Dagger um, or uh, open up another position for the main cast on Loot and Dagger. And you know, just me playing those weeks and weeks with him was sort of acted as an audition. So we'd sort of set that up and that was off to the side and Christmas rolled around. And um, was it Rock Punch? Uh, eight, or Rock Punch it? Um, Christmas. Okay. Yes was uh was doing a um charity stream uh and that's where I actually met um Nikki at the time. I hadn't met April yet. But and that in itself that that one shot stream was was wonderful because that was an all uh female identifying cast and that was the first time that I had gotten with another group of women ever since starting my transition so i was kind of nervous and like will i be accepted and all this and i was accepted without question and i had a wonderful time and it wasn't long after that that nikki contacted me hey how would you like to be a sailor scout because i'm starting something uh called slady's night um but we're wanting to kind of shoot a commercial do you have a sailor scout outfit and i was like nope but i will most certainly get one for this uh so I, I did get one. We, me and a friend, uh, was frantically looking online to try to get one as quick as possible. We got it, and the event got canceled. <laughs> but it allowed Nikki to start up Slady's ATL uh, later on, and that's when she started having um, group meetups and um, getting more down pat of do doing what she wants to do with Sladies because at the time it was connected with uh what was it D D ATL, ATL D D, which no longer exists. Um yeah. So she took that brand and is making her own wonderful thing with it. And I am exceedingly grateful to have gotten involved with that. So uh <laughs> Ironically enough, the first time I actually officially met April was was a Sladies meetup, and we ended up getting tattoos that night. <laughs> That's a very quick turnaround. Yeah, that was amazing to see how you go from kind of just getting into this game, just getting to sit at an all-female table, and then obviously it not working out, but then stay in contact, and then all this happening, right? Yeah, pretty much. And we, I know we've talked about chemistry so much, um, but it was just there with that group. They were they were so accepting that 
that was one of the biggest things I worried about in my transition is like, will I be accepted in other women's groups? Is this going to be a fight or, or what? And with everything they've done has made my transition a thousand times easier that, and it has taken away a lot of the fears that I had and given me a lot of confidence that I probably never would have had uh, if I hadn't have met them. So I'm exceedingly grateful for them. That's awesome. What's your favorite thing about RPGs that makes you want to play them? Because I, I know there's a lot of people who have hobbies. I mean, a lot of people game. A lot of people you know, enjoy different aspects of media and culture. But RPG fans or players or whatever term you want to use there's something very special about this to where it hits differently or at least i believe so says the guy with an rpg podcast right (laughs) (laughs) sure um i'm just gonna say it it may be partially because i have somewhat of a theater background and i i just love performing and acting is i like being able to just play these different characters that you can play for a day and see and see how it goes or you can play get into something more long term with a campaign and see where it goes and you can change it from from time to time i've gotten a chance to just play so many various and different types of characters that i think is absolutely amazing that i wouldn't have had i played a video game where you're stuck usually playing one character for hours and hours and hours on end for that one particular story um, I've taken other characters of mine into other games and like, well, let's see what this character would do in this sort of world or this situation and just see what happens with that or meet up with different characters they wouldn't have in the game that I introduced them in. Um, it's just seeing different points of view from different backgrounds and just seeing what happens. I, I absolutely love that. So for you, it's the variety, the versatility, because you can play multiple characters and do different things. Absolutely. And especially with the aspect of, I'm a player that sometimes I like a nat one over a, a nat 20. Like, I I don't fear a bad roll, because sometimes it can be the most fun I've ever had is on a nat one. And that that kind of throws a little bit of adversity at the character. And like, let's see what you do with this. And I absolutely love that. And I think that actually now makes a lot of sense when you talk about your theatrical kind of background because in – I'm assuming you've had maybe some improv training or something like that, right? <laughs> if you call watching two seasons of Whose Line Is It Anyway and trying to play those games in high school, yeah, yeah, I have a wonderful That is 1,000% <laughs> <background>. improv. <laughs> hey, hey, that is 1,000% improv. And I did – It is. Quick tangent, had a quick revelation uh, – once when I was working on a film set uh, with somebody who was explaining how they're, you know, nervous about improv. They don't know if they can do it. They, they don't have like the, the wit for it. And I go, you notice that all of life is improv because nobody gives you a script for how you talk, but you still somehow make it work out. And and I watched her, her just kind of go, Boosh, like I see, you know, the meme, of, like, <laughs> the brain blow up. Right. And, and, and I was like, right. you can do improv. You've been doing it your entire life. Mm-hmm. So I, w- what I want to say is like for somebody who likes improv myself and uh, you as well, obviously with whose line uh, fandom is 
the the natural one is is that sort of twist or turn when a new you know person gets involved or they ding the bell and they want you to do something completely different and that's so rare in you know traditional video games or in traditional sort of activities that you can do to where you have this momentum and have this thing it would be like if all of a sudden football was you know throwing around a pigskin and the next thing you know they're like everybody stop and grab your floaties and then we have to run around with you know puppies and chase them down you're like that's not the game well Natural one, we got to do something completely different. Yep, absolutely. And the aspect I like about it is it helps you to not fear failure. Um, I, I've come across players that they don't seem to have a good time unless they roll high on the dice the entire time. And it's like, well, that's if everything's good is always just good going your way all the time. Where's the fun? Where's the danger? I, I like that little bit of risk that if we're sneaking in somewhere and I roll that nat one and oops, I tripped over a suit of armor that I didn't even know was there or as apparently what happened. And my original um, uh, table will never let me live down. Um, a rogue with a plus six on sleight of hand ended up after four rolls going to jail. So that was, that was fun. And I think part of the reason those people are, are kind of obsessed with or maybe concerned a lot with wanting to have good roles is there's that obviously it's still a game at the end of the day. Uh, I know, you know, I, I'm a very role play focused person, I'm a very storytelling per focused person, but I do remember the fact that, you know, we're still using die and probability. And if this was just a storytelling vehicle, then we'd just be sitting around telling stories to each other. But I, but but my my pushback to that uh, a little bit personally would be the fact that your uh, GM and DM, uh, unless they've decided in the very beginning, like, hey, I'm going to try to kill you guys as soon as possible, so try to make the most broken min-max <laughs> character ever, which there are those types of games and they can be really fun. Uh, there are. Usually your GM is on your side. He, she is going to try to enable your character to do cool stuff. We'll most likely rule of cool some things so you don't have to be super specific or super technical. So treat that, you know, natural one or treat that my arrow misses or my persuasion check fails as a great opportunity to flex other aspects of your character. And you just might find it to be a success anyway because your DM and GM will compliment you and then probably reward you for that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, then something I I I I kind of go by is if you make a failure fun, if you make a nat one fun, it really takes away the reason of why anybody would even. I, I've not come across any players uh, thus far, but I have heard stories and whatnot of players cheating or or lying about their roles and whatnot because they're afraid of of getting something too low or not getting what they want. You make that failure fun. There's no reason to cheat. There's not much reason to cheat anyway, but it absolutely gives them zero reason to even want to. And I find you remember failure a lot more too. Like, I don't know if you feel this too, Amanda, but there's always, you know, going to be like, oh man, isn't it great the one time we killed that lich or that gigantic, you know, demon, devil, whatever, something or another. Those are always fine, but usually those are a multitude of various attacks and spells and things like that. But the thing you always remember is like, that one time you're trying to sneak in and check out those guys and you rolled a natural one and they're like what are you doing around here and you're like nothing and you rolled another natural one and they're like cuff him <laughs> and then you're trying to explain to the person like oh no no i'm just an innocent man i didn't come here to, to rob you guys which was the truth and yet you rolled another natural one and then they're like okay put him on a stake out in the middle of the sun let the buzzards eat his innards 
Yeah, that's what people remember. And and the natural ones are usually natural ones or bad rolls or stupid decisions, which there's I, I I've never met a DM or GM who's never said, Oh, my players are so dumb or oh my players do this stupid, dumb thing. <laughs> I think it's just part of the game is when you have, you know, a bunch of people at a table. Somebody's gonna have a dumb idea and they're all gonna go with it. Um so those those things are actually one of the best things and we remember those more than probably the uh natural twenties. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I got to wonder, did, did my original DM get in contact and tell you that specific story of, uh, cause you were hitting it really close to the nail on the head of when I got uh, thrown in jail. That's hilarious. No, that is, one of, <laughs> that is one of my players who, so, so out of six rolls, out of six rolls, five were natural ones. I did the mathematics on it. It was like, wow. it was like one in like two millions. It was crazy. And, and, Honestly, like, yeah, you wouldn't, you shouldn't have been creeping up on, on the guy in his tent, but everything after that was literally like, okay, they know I'm there. I'm just trying to leave. I don't want to create a problem. And then, okay, they've got me there. Let me just try to talk my way out of this. And okay, look, I'm just going to tell them something, which is an actual fact. And then just failure after failure, after failure, after failure. And yeah, them and their entire party, because they're all like partying at this kind of tent, uh, kind of, it was very similar to like a Bedouin sort of uh, society. So they're all having, you know, parties and having a good night. And then, yeah, once the uh, main head honcho uh, found this guy to be guilty and a liar and a fool, all the other guys got seized. (laughs) So, so they're all in the middle of like drinking and partying and eating food. And then they're just like, everybody's like getting manhandled. Like what's going on? What's going on? And all because of one character's F-ups. Yeah. Um, if I may indulge on, on, please, on please, my experience please. with that one. Oh, thank you. Um, so we had gone into a town that was much like, like Agrabah or something in the Middle East, very deserty. And they were having a festival. And we're like, oh, well, you know, our, our party kind of split to go kind of do their own thing in the festival. And I said, you know, I've, my, my rogue is more of an assassin, but I've, I never really got a chance to try to steal anything off anybody. And you know what? There's a lot of people here. I think it's a good time to, to try, try it out. And our paladin, the player, actually leaned over to my shoulder and he's like, you understand this is a, a town that will probably cut your hands off if you get caught. And I just looked and was like, yeah, I got plus six on my slide. Man, it'll be fine. And just shrugged him away. And yeah, going through the crowds, like, yep, I just want to reach into this gentleman's and just snatch his coin purse. Nat one right off the bat, and like oh no, oh. was like oh I I I I act like I'm trying to fall, and I, I just happen to to catch him or something, and like oh roll for uh, persuasion. That was a three. Uh, so the the guy grappled me, and he's like, do you know who I am? I'm like I, I have no idea. Who you are. Do you know who I am? He's like no. And it's like good. We don't know who each other are. Um, you can let me go now. Uh, it, uh rolled intimidation. And that was a that was a five. So I was progressively getting better the longer I delayed this out. So he turned to call for guards. I was like, okay, I just want to hit him in the back of my head with like the butt of the dagger, just non-lethal. Um, like, okay, yeah, roll for it. And that, that was an eight. So we're slowly getting better. Like we're growing up. The numbers are getting higher. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so of course, that didn't work. I was like, oh, but wait, wait, wait. His, his back is turned to me. So I'm, I'm rogue. I get sneak attack, right? And the DM allowed it. I was like, oh, yes. Uh, then I dropped down to a back to a four, so that didn't. <laughs> oh man! And so the guards got over there. They arrested me, and as they were dragging away, one of my other party members was like, "Do we see any of this? Because it's in a square." And the DM had the the table roll for it. Nobody got over an eight. <laughs> the bard and the barbarian turned around. Was like, "Is this a spa? We should do a spa day." And legit, they had a spa day. <laughs> 
as I was getting hauled off to jail. That is hilarious, though. I will say one of my favorite parts of that, and you know, if you're a Critical Role fan, you also know this too, is you tempted the dice gods. Never tempt the dice gods by being like, oh, don't worry, I got a high mod, or oh, don't worry, I'm a, le- I'm a, I'm a yep. big level character. I'm, a, I'm such an impressive arch druid, whatever, something or another, because that's when the dice gods and your DMGM will sometimes be like, oh, really? Let me humble you. Oh, yes. Yep, and I totally did. But again, it's it's one of those moments. We don't talk about that time we killed that one big bad. We talk about mess like that, and they never let me live it down. And that's, yeah, 100% like back onto the thing about what makes RPGs so interesting, especially to me, is we talk about those stories, and you did not one time say, oh, this character that I was playing or pretending to be, like, no, 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 you did that. You natural one, you fit like we personify these characters that we create and it feels real. I mean, I've had characters die and that session, sorry, at the end of that session, that like aftercare that we have to where everybody's like glum and down and like that's a very real emotion. Like something terrible happened in real life, though it was, you know, pen and paper and a fake character. And on the flip side of that, like the high of, you know, after sometimes a full one to two session long combat where, you know, you're dying and then having to be resurrected or trying to do every little spell and trick you have in your book to survive. And you finally win. And then I say, okay, guys, session's over. And that exasperation and the hot, all of that stuff is so very real. Yet we're just sitting at a table and talking to each other and throwing around, you know, some dice. Absolutely. And I think, and this is just a personal opinion. I think that any character you make, there's a little bit of yourself that you put into it, whether you realize it or not. Whether it's a part of your past or a person that you used to be, or somebody that you kind of wish you were sprinkled in a little bit, or just what you're going through right now. I think that there is a little bit of of us in every character that we create. And it, it makes a little, you know, this is our character. Um. And, and and I think that's one of the reasons why we kind of grow to to love some of the characters we do that we go that extra mile to to get artwork done or I've known players to get uh, tattoos of characters uh, uh, done. So it's it, it is an interesting aspect to be able to play someone other than yourself in an adventure and see where it goes. And I will say, if you have had death moments, I'm jealous. I am. I I want that moment. I I've yet to have anything close to that moment, but I will say I am jealous. I I love any sort of thing that can pull that much of a reaction or an emotion out of me. So, uh, bravo! You, you've got one up on me. I mean, it, it, it's one of those things to where, like, uh, obviously, it it's also a accumulation of things, right? So, like that death moment was, I think a year and a half into a campaign, right? So that's a person who really cared for that character and they died. I'm talking, well, I've had multiple death moments. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me specify. Let me specify the very first time ever I DM'd a game and had a death moment and we lost an important NPC. And then we lost obviously a player character as well, trying to save said NPC, which is the great kind of bittersweet thing of it. They tried to save them, died thinking they saved them. And then the NPC dies anyway, was like, yeah, I well again that like horrible bittersweet like very you know French nu- nu- nouveau sort of writing where it's great 
and everybody dies and is miserable, right? Well, that, that <laughs> right, right, right. I had never wanted that to happen, so I was feeling bad, like I was a bad GM. But then the emotion afterwards of like that silence and everybody just being like, "Is there nothing? That's it? No, he's really done. Like his character's done, and he's got to come up with a new one." And wow, like that that scared me at first. But then I realized after the fact, like when we they came back, we we've been we've been making his name is Ormong, the character, by the way. We've been making jokes about Ormong or references to Ormong for the past six years because of because of, you know, because of how much that character meant to the player, because of how much that moment, you know, was big for people recognizing like, hey, Don's willing to kill characters and hey, we could we could potentially die. Like this is very serious and real. It's not going to be just like oh we can smooth talk our way out of things. Like there's horrible forces out of there. So it was like this line of demarcation for like, sh- not I can curse. It's my podcast. Shit can get real, and at the same time, and at the same time, like also fuck, we care about these characters and these NPCs because he only dies trying to save an NPC. If he doesn't care about the NPC, if he doesn't care about something I created, which is a, one of the best compliments to me, is a, a player so invested that they're willing to sacrifice their character or put their character on the line. None of that happens. So like, if anybody out there is wanting to be like, oh, I really want these amazing moments, like, don't ape or copy somebody else's moments. Um, obviously, you can use them as inspiration, and I, I'd say GM should steal all the time. But like a half of this is coming down to your players being invested and the other half is just at a certain time a right moment will hit like your moment amanda like all of us having watched you know and been you know dejected or had you know un unrelinquished or relegate uh, not relinquished uh, un uh, reciprocated um affection that makes that moment hit because we've all lived full lives um and nobody would understand that unless they've lived a life like that so yeah it's not something you can fake but when it hits boy does it hit strong it really, really does. Um, I'm hoping to have more of those moments, um, but it is interesting to see, like you mentioned, what what links will a, a player or a player character go to 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 help an NPC if something happens to them, and if they go that extra mile and they start not just saying their actions, but like you see them emotionally getting like, oh, oh, oh my God, what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? Say, okay, I've done it right. They're invested. Um, it's like it's it, it's a wonderful feeling. It's just okay. I've got them. I've got them in the palm of my hand, and and you know now I've got to treat them right. So it's I've I've, I've been starting to really love being a DM more so than a player um, because of moments like that. Yeah, and I mean coming up, you know, looking at our time and things like that. Amanda, what are you hoping to ultimately achieve either from what you're doing with Slades or what you're doing in the RPG sphere? If there's any sort of grander scheme, or are you just hoping to have a lot of fun games? You know, wh- where where are you at with what you want to kind of get with your RPG experience? Well, um, I'm, obviously, yeah. <laughs> we all are going to be super happy to see people in person and play together in person <laughs> when this is all done. Um. And just learn to be a better DM, uh, a better player, be be more open minded and learn more about what uh, what makes different players um, levels of fun and, and play some of these different types of games like playing a mid max game, playing a um, more like something like a horror 
rated game that where death is almost around every corner, just playing various different types of games. But for me personally, just, and I'm trying to do it more with Sladies and, and, and any game I play in is just having more transgender representation uh, out there to kind of break that kind of idea that just cisgendered white guys are the only thing that the only people that play these sort of games, which is very much not true. And to help anybody kind of feel welcome at my table or to, to roll dice with me and, you know, um, just aspects of, uh, like that with representation. That's awesome. And if anybody wants to contact you or follow you, Amanda, what is the best avenue? Uh, that would be on Twitter, uh, at Buller Baroness. Uh, also, I play uh, Kitty Cloud on Sladies on Friday nights on Twitch. It's the Sladies ATL channel, as well as I DM the new game from the Siren Song with Love that I've just started. And we'll be playing our second episode tomorrow night, or on, on Thursdays. Yeah, definitely follow Amanda and see all of her awesome stuff. If you guys love this podcast and want to support me, it's obviously my RPG podcast. You can listen on all services such as Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you can find your podcast. If you have any questions or want to be on the show, email me at myrpgpodcast at gmail.com. My personal Twitter is classy underscore Don. That's D-O-N. Otherwise, thank you for listening, and I'll see you at the table. Thank you.